Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. If you're in a small firm or solo practice, you wouldn't think to ask a big firm lawyer for advice on efficiencies of scale in dealing with mountains of paperwork. They have plenty of staff to make the growing piles more manageable for them. Perhaps the best answer might come from one who made the switch about 10 years ago, from big firm to solo, in part because he could, thanks to the tools of technology. I'm Terry Carter, and in this episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels, we're going to talk about technology, especially the use of PDFs, which is shorthand for portable document format, and how it can save money and make money while leveling the playing field where you face those big firms. With us today is Ernie Svensson, that's S-V-E-N-S-O-N, who became famous among certain groups in the profession with one of the first law blogs called Ernie the Attorney, which he launched in 2002. Over the past 10 years, Ernie has continued to streamline his own practice and has become a guru for what he calls the paperless chase. Through speaking, writing, and blogging, Ernie teaches lawyers how to make both the nuts and bolts drudge work and the sophisticated and effective use of documents and information very simple. He authored one of the leading ABA-published books on PDFs called Adobe Acrobat in One Hour for Lawyers. Welcome to the show, Ernie. Thanks for having me, Terry. I look forward to talking to you. Yes. First, tell us a bit about your background and career in the law and leaving the big firm practice. Um, yeah, sure. So I started practicing at a, what I call a big firm in New Orleans after I had clerked for two years for a federal judge. And the work I did there was commercial litigation. And uh, when I started practicing, I knew nothing about the practice of law nor about how to manage a commercial litigation case. But fortunately, there were people who did, and those people were mostly paralegals because they were the ones in charge of uh, managing the documents and organizing them and all that good stuff. And so, you know, I had the good fortune of having folks like that who were smart and savvy managing my paper documents. But over the years, as things changed and computers appeared, I started relying more on the computers to do that kind of work as I discovered that the computers could do most of what I was asking the paralegals to do and do it very reliably, very efficiently, and usually uh, the computers were always available, whereas the paralegals were sometimes too busy. So I kind of became sort of a solo lawyer inside of a big firm, and, you know, using technology is what allowed me to do that, and then I figured, well, if I'm kind of a solo lawyer inside of a big firm, why not just be a solo lawyer outside of a big firm and see if this technology stuff is really what I think it is. And so I went out on my own and it was what I thought it was and it was even better. And so I had this nice ninja efficient, super streamlined, low stress legal practice and life was good. I didn't have to go to any more committee meetings or put up with drudgery or chaos that I didn't really like. Okay. What is it that makes the paperless law practice not only good for trees, but in general useful for lawyers? Well, you know, I think nowadays... Lawyers are more receptive to the idea that being paperless is something that provides massive benefits to them. You know, one of the benefits, yes, is that, you know, it saves on trees, but that's not what motivates people to want to become paperless for the most part. And, you know, the benefits are that when you shed the paper, and you're not, you're not necessarily getting rid of all of it immediately, but as you sort of, you know, 
disentangle yourself from the massive reflexive reliance on it and you start scanning paper and documents, you realize that if you have all of your information available to you on, say, your laptop, then you don't have to go to the office to look up that one thing that you just thought of or that your client asked you about uh, or that you need to put into a brief that you're writing to defend yourself. You know, you just look it up and you do it instantly uh, on your computer. Or if you are able to store your documents in the cloud, you know, the documents could be back in the office on a computer there. And so the benefits of being able to work from anywhere and being able to instantly access your information from anywhere that's really like one of the big benefits that people quickly grasp comes with being paperless. Can you really go completely paperless? And if not, when do we most often still need to use paper documents? Yeah, that's like the number one question that I've been getting asked for the past 10 years by people who don't really understand what paperless is. They're thinking about it. And so they say, well, you know, because the assumption is that when you're talking about being paperless, and you talk about it enthusiastically because the less paper you have, the better off you are. And I can say, you know, I have no paper that is in my life that I need to rely on in paper format. Anything that I need to rely on, it gets digitized. And so then when you tell people that, they say, well, I don't want to digitize everything. I don't want to be completely paperless. And if that's what you're talking about, that's crazy talk. And then they think you're saying that you literally get rid of every piece of paper, including the toilet paper in your bathroom, which of course is ridiculous. So it's not about getting rid of paper to be doctrinaire or you know obsessive. It's about getting rid of the paper that keeps you from being able to do those things I mentioned earlier. So, you know, you can't do it all overnight, but as soon as you can get rid of most of the paper and convert it, that's what you want to do. But of course, you're going to have paper in your life. I mean, you know, people are going to send you paper. There's going to be some things you like to have in paper format. But what you're doing is you're converting everything to digital and then maybe you leave some of it in paper to read and then shred it later. Or maybe you find something that you need to look at and you print it out because you like to look at it on paper. But the system, the idea is to make everything that's crucial in your practice digitized. So that's what I mean by being paperless. Not, you know, you never touch a piece of paper again in your life. So when we receive paper documents now, should we convert them to digital form? And if so, which form and why? Yeah, so the process is once you accept that, you know, being paperless is a good thing and you want, you know, to convert the paper to something, the something you want to convert it to is a PDF. And when I started doing this back in 2002, it wasn't clear to everyone whether you should use PDFs or the more commonly used digital document, which is TIFF files, which is an acronym for something. Um, TIFF files were what the scanning bureaus were using when they were scanning things. And so... A lot of them were saying, oh, no, you should scan to TIFF. The thing is, the federal court system and most of the state court systems that have adopted e-filing are using PDF as their format. Or maybe all of the state courts are using PDF. They probably are. Because that's the logical thing. And so just like, you know, it wouldn't make sense to use multiple different formats. You want to keep your life simple. Everybody's going to be using PDFs because they already are. So you're going to scan to a PDF, and that's basically why, is because it's the dominant format. It's the thing that allows you to do the most paper-like stuff, but it also lets you do other things that you can't do with paper. So, you know, PDF is the thing you want to scan to, so that's what you digitize your paper into. Well, we all see PDFs pretty regularly now, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is the PACER system, the federal court archives. Right. 
But some of those documents look clean and clear and aligned. But then some others look like multi-generational photocopies that are sort of degraded and made slightly off-angle visually. Can you explain that difference? Yeah. So all PDFs are not created the same. And so what happens is some PDFs, the clean, perfect-looking ones that you see on Pacer, are PDFs that got generated because somebody was using Word or WordPerfect or whatever software, and they exported it out to a PDF without printing it. And in the common parlance of you know PDF land, we call that printing to PDF because you're printing, but you're not really actually outputting paper. You're creating a PDF that looks like what the paper would look like if it was paper and then scanned back in. But if you scan it back in, then you're going to start to get the degradation that you're talking about. And so, um, and if you scan something back in, you know, whatever quality it has is going to be the baseline and then it's going to degrade from there. And if when you feed the paper into the scanner, it goes in crooked, then it's, it might be crooked. Although there's PDF software that can straighten it and may at least fix that problem. But, you know, in general, the quality of the input is going to determine what you see in the PDF and also the file size. So most lawyers, when they're filing stuff in PACER or, you know, in the e-filing system for federal court, they're quote unquote printing to PDF and they're generating really clean images and those images are text searchable from the get-go. Whereas when you scan in paper and make it a PDF, you can't highlight the text or you can't select the text and copy and paste it because it's just an image. And if you want to be able to do those things, then you have to make the text searchable. And there's a process that you use to do that, which you can do with PDF software. It's called People call it different things, either OCR, which is an acronym for optical character recognition, or they call it text recognition or something. But the idea is you're taking this PDF image that exists when you scan it in and you're making it text selectable and text searchable. Well, the courts have been more and more open and actually in some ways requiring filings to be done in PDF. Do you think that soon enough the courts are going to require that they not be more like photocopy scans? Um, yeah, well, I don't think that's really a big issue for them right now, because when you go to the orientation for learning how to do e-filing, because you have to get some kind of quick orientation from them before they allow you to do it, they teach you or talk to you about generating it using uh, the aforementioned process of, you know, printing to PDF. And since that's faster, easier, generates a smaller file size, and a bunch of other things, that's not a, a roadblock for most lawyers. They quickly get that or their staff gets that. So the courts aren't really struggling with a lot of lawyers uploading scanned in images. And in fact, when the problems occur, what's more likely to occur is lawyers who don't understand this and who, let's say there's a law, and I, actually there have been lawyers who've done this because one of them called me one time and he was freaking out because he's trying to file something at the last minute. And the size of the file was too big for him to upload it. And he was getting error messages telling him he couldn't upload it to the system. And what he was doing was scanning it in and he was using some fancy copy machine that was generating a ridiculously large file size so that even though his PDF was only four pages, which would be well within the page limit requirement for the filing, he was tripping up against the file size limitation, which was a technical limitation because he was not doing it the right way. But that that was a long time ago, and even then it was rare. And so I don't think it's a big problem for the most part. What kind of software and equipment do we need to get started? 
It's really pretty simple. I mean, the hard part of teaching people how to be paperless is not telling them what, what equipment to get and the equipment that they need isn't really even expensive. So basically you just need two things. You need a scanner so that you can scan in the paper that you know, you're not able to create by using the print to PDF process. So you need a scanner and then you need software that lets you manipulate PDFs. You know, you can get the free Adobe Reader software, but that doesn't let you manipulate the PDF very much. It won't let you make the PDFs that you create text searchable. It won't let you bait stamp them. It won't let you create bookmarks or comments, you know, and there's a lot of things or it won't let you redact. There's a lot of things that lawyers might want to do with their PDFs just like they do with paper. And so simply being able to view the PDF is not going to cut it. So they need the scanner and then the PDF software. And the scanner, I mean, the PDF software, you know, this software by Adobe. Um, it tends to be more expensive than the other software out there. But Adobe is the one that everybody knows because they created the PDF standard. So you can use Adobe software or you can use, you know, some of the other software that's out there, the availability of which depends on if you're using a Mac or a PC. But the software, you know, there's some issues there about what you would pick. But the scanner is a no-brainer. There's only one that you should get, and that is the Fujitsu ScanSnap. They have several versions. The one you want is the one that costs about $400. The current model number for that one is the iX500, and that is the de facto, you know, front-runner winner for multiple years now. Every legal technology consultant and legal technology person out there who understands this stuff has the scan snap and knows it's the best one. And it's not just because the scanner is good, although the scanner is amazing. It's also because of the software that comes with the scanner and how flexible it is and so forth. So get that scanner. And then if you buy that scanner on Amazon, it's going to come with two licenses for Adobe Acrobat standard. So then you'll have your PDF manipulation software and you're basically set to go. And now it's just a question of learning the workflow and setup and, you know, just getting acclimated to becoming paperless. Well, that's it. Then comes the learning curve. And what advice yeah. do you have for a busy lawyer, especially those that are surrounded by piles of paper and filing cabinets to get on with the paperless chase? Well, number one, be patient. You know, be patient and be sensible. And so don't run in and say to your staff, oh my God, this paperless stuff is great. Starting tomorrow, we're going to scan all of our documents because that's going to get you in trouble because when you move quickly, you're more likely to make a mistake and it's going to be more disruptive. So you don't want to do that. What you want to do is start slowly and ramp up smoothly. And so when you start slowly, what you want to do is take a file or matter that opens, let's say, tomorrow. So if you're going to do it tomorrow, then the first file or matter that opens after you decide you're going to be paperless, that's the one you're going to start the process with. And when you open that one, you're not going to open any other ones until you get used to it and everybody has time to kind of get used to the assembly line of how you uh, scan documents in and what you do in that case. So it's going to be easy to work on that one case. There'll be some questions. People will you know, have some hiccups, but they'll get used to it and it's simple and it's easy and not very frustrating or not frustrating at all. Once you got that one down, then, you know, take the next one. And then quickly you're going to start getting so good at this and everybody's going to want to do it because they're going to see the benefits that you'll just naturally ramp up at whatever, you know, progress speed makes sense for you. So as long as you're not impatient and try to do things too quickly or do things you create unnecessary challenges for yourself, you'll be fine. An example of an unnecessary challenge would be 
saying, well, I'm going to just scan all my old files because those aren't in play right now and that'll just be easier and I'm just going to scan them all. That's an unnecessary challenge. There's no value in those files. You're not going to learn anything about how to you know, manage a case that's live. That's a waste of time. And there are other similar you know, unnecessary challenges that I talk to lawyers about when I do this in depth. But basically, if you avoid the unnecessary challenges and you're patient and you go about it sensibly and get the right equipment, which I've already mentioned, it's just a matter of time. And you, know, you proceed at the pace that makes sense for you and the people that you work with. Okay, you've refined these processes for yourself over the years. What other tools do you recommend, such as for file management and storage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that, this is where it starts to get, you know, tailored to what the lawyer is doing and where I can't give one-size-fits-all advice. But I'll tell you that if you kind of look at it as a progression of how sophisticated is your firm, and by sophisticated I don't mean, you know, like putting on airs sophistication or that kind of thing, but rather, you know, how intricate is your your technical workflow. And so if it's just you, one lawyer or one, you know, computer user, life is simple and easy. And you just say, okay, well, I'm going to, I need to make sure that all this information that I've now digitized is backed up because obviously that's super important. And I also want to be able to access it from anywhere. And hey, by the way, I also have two computers and I want everything to be synchronized. So then you look for a cloud storage service that allows you to do that. And there's lots of them out there. Dropbox is one that starts out with a free account, which is not appropriate for lawyers. But if you pay them the nine bucks a month, you get a huge ungodly amount of storage, a terabyte, which is just, you know, crazy amount of storage. And you're fine. Now you're getting backup and synchronization and everything is simple and easy. And what, how do you name your files? Well, however you're naming your word processing files probably works. But if you don't know how to name them, you know, there's a system that everybody uses where you put the date first and then the name and it automatically sorts in whatever folder you put it in chronologically. That's the simplest, easiest way. And then as you add more people that you're working with, you get to the point where let's say you have three to five users, because it's not attorneys, it's how many computer users are collaborating together and sharing these same files. At that point, that simple system where you have folders and you name the file something, it becomes harder to enforce the discipline with each person that you add. And then you start to get chaos because somebody misfiles something or accidentally deletes it. And when they accidentally delete it one place, it synchronizes all over and accidentally deletes everywhere else. So when you start to get to between three and five, you need to start thinking about getting a document management system, which is software specifically designed to enforce the discipline of organizing documents and setting permissions as to who can view them and what people can do with those documents. And it used to be you had to uh, be in a firm that was big enough to be able to afford to run their own servers to take advantage of that. But now there's DMS software or document management software that you can get that's cloud-based and is robust and is enterprise level enough that it's useful for lawyers. And so where you are on that continuum of how big your firm is, and that's going to determine, you know, what options you choose and how quickly you need to adopt them. All right. Well, once a lawyer is capable of working in that fashion, and you say it's not so daunting as it first sounds, I've heard you mention momentum builders. What are they and how do they work? Yeah. So basically what I try to tell lawyers is, you know, when they say, 
well, I'm going to become paperless, you know, I, I, you know, like as if they're not right now. And I'll say, well, you're actually already paperless to some extent. I mean, you know, you get email and that's not paper and you work on word processing documents and that, that's not paper. And you have other things that are you storing on your computer that are not paper. So what I try to tell them is, you know, you're already paperless to some extent. So the key besides being patient and sensible is just looking at places where you have some momentum or you can easily build it up and work from there. And so you're already managing documents digitally. Well, if that system works for your paper that you scan to PDF, great, use that. The other places where momentum can be leveraged is if you're getting faxes in physical form like paper, immediately stop doing that and get a web-based fax system. Because at this point now, those faxes that you're receiving that were shoved into a fax machine perhaps at one end and therefore scanned, because that's what a fax machine is, besides it's a scanner and a printer, you just remove the printer part on your side and take what was scanned in on the other end and you receive it as a PDF attached to an email. That's a huge momentum builder. Another one is when you get good at being able to sign PDFs or convert a Word document that somebody sends you to PDF when they're saying, hey, sign this document and they email it to you because that's how people do this now. And they say, sign this document. And you think, oh, that means I have to go find a printer and print it out. And if I'm on a trip, I have to go find the business center and print it out so that I can sign it and then either FedEx it back or somehow scan it back. So at this point, when you've printed it out just to sign it, you've now gone backwards. You're in the stone age now. What you need to do is learn how to use digital signatures and sign those documents electronically and then return them immediately by email because now you've short-circuited a whole bunch of steps that you don't need to take. So that's a momentum builder as well. And that's what I mean by momentum builders. Ernie, tell us about your website, paperlesschase.com. Sure. So the name obviously indicates, you know, mostly what I do, which is try to help lawyers on this process of learning to be paperless. And, you know, I give talks about this and I explain all this kind of stuff that I'm talking about here in detail. And even when I give the talks or no matter how much detail I provide, because it's a big step, you know, lawyers have a lot of questions and they have ongoing questions and they want ongoing guidance. So what I did was I created the site and I have some resources there. A lot of them, almost all of them are free, including a free course that walks everybody through all the stuff I just talked about in greater detail and gives them a series of emails so that instead of having to digest all this information in one sitting, they can kind of, you know, digest it over time. And that's has seemed to work really well. Lawyers, you know, like that better than trying to, you know, absorb it all at once. So that's basically what I do at Paperless Chase. Anybody who's interested in becoming paperless, you know, the resources are there. Like I said, 90% of them are free. And, um, you know, you can get going and make headway. It's all pretty smooth and pretty sensible. Thanks, Ernie. You've covered what I wanted to ask about today, and I really want to thank you for joining us. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Terry. I appreciate you having me on. I'm Terry Carter, and thank you for listening to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, 
or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.